Amen. Please have a seat and grab your Bibles. Can you believe it? We are into our second month in this series in James already. Um, when I started over about of last month, I said that one of the things that sort of inspired me to teach James was a scene in one of our favorite movies. We're a big musical family. We like musicals. And um, Eliza Doolittle in the movie My Fair Lady, who has been courted by this man who, Freddie, who has a hard time showing his feelings out loud, she looks at him and she says, and she sings it, but I won't sing it, but she says, don't sing me no song, I ain't doing it, don't sing me no song, don't read me no rhyme, don't waste my time, show me. And that's really what James is saying to us here, or God is saying to us through James is, is I want to see that you really believe what you say you believe. If you really believe you love me, you'll show me. And we've seen already how in, in week one we saw that, that we are um, to consider it all joy when we encounter trials and struggles. That's one of the ways we show God that we trust him. And then the next week we looked at how we're not to let our desire lead us into sin, which leads to death. And that's one of the ways that we show that we trust him is by controlling our desires through the power of his spirit. And then we looked at how we're to be a doer of the word. That was week three. And then last week we talked about how we don't want to let our pride lead to prejudice and how we treat others differently by holding people to a standard that even God doesn't hold us to. But in this book that's all about doing, what, what I've really enjoyed about this, and I wasn't frankly expecting, because when I was taught James by a couple of very godly men over, over my 20-something years of walking with the Lord, it was always very much about doing. Yes, and only by Christ we can do it. it these, they, were very, they, were, they were gospel men, but it was very focused on doing. And what I've really enjoyed is seeing how James is really focused on being. And that's going to be seen even here today. But I also want to stress that this isn't just a walk through the um, fitness center. This isn't just one of those times where we're walking along with the people that are showing us all the equipment and they're like, this is what you can do here and this is what you can do here. This is our trainer, James, inviting us to get on the machine in the workout center and say, if you're not sore by tomorrow, you're not doing the exercise right. Right? That, we, that, that, that there is a certain amount of our faith walk that is work. And James is going to tell us that. It's not just being in the gym that counts. And that it, to, excuse me, today's passage that we're looking at is probably the best known passage in the book of James. And the title of today's message is Showing the Light You Share. Showing the Light You Share. It's this whole faith works dynamic that we're going to look at. So if you would, open up your Bibles to James chapter 2. James is towards the end of your New Testament. You, get, you go past the big book of Hebrews. And you're going to get to James chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the passage we're going to look at today. And then I'll come back and explain it. I'm going to start in verse 14. We left off in 13 last week. It says in 14, it says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that. 
You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe that and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith without that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he is called a friend of God. You see that the man was justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I pray now that as we dive into that word, Father, that you would, by the power of your spirit, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would open the spiritual eyes of our hearts, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth. I pray that if there's anything that comes out of this mouth that is not of you, you would stop it. And I pray that if, if it still gets leaks out of this mouth, Lord, I pray that you would stop it before it gets to the ear of the hearer. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the one who did all of this perfectly. In his name we pray, amen. So today's message is showing the light you share. And this passage we're looking at, at begs the question and will hopefully help answer the question, is your life living proof of the gospel? Is your life living proof of the gospel? Right? This can be a really misunderstood passage. In fact, it is, I said, it's probably the most popular passage in James because James is known as a book of works. It is one of the most misunderstood passages because it, it, it is, this passage right here is actually why Martin Luther, the great reformer, was not a fan of the book of James. He knew it was in the Bible, but he wasn't a huge fan that it was there because he had come out of Catholicism, which is a very works-based religion. And, but, but what he realized was this. Faith alone, it is faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. So he eventually embraced it, but early on in his, in his awakening to the real gospel, he struggled with this passage. And we do too sometimes. But it's not a passage about works. And it's, I've always told it's works or faith or faith or works. It's really not about that at all. How do I know? Because the passage tells us, look at, look at verses 14, and then we'll look at verse 26. When, when he, this is verse 14, it says, but what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? Now look at verse 26. But just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That is what's called in hermeneutics, which is just a way of how do you read the Bible and understand what, it, what God meant it to say. That, that, that idea where at the beginning of a section, verse 14, and at the end of a section, verse 26, is what's called an inclusio. It just means that James is starting a point and he's going to end the point and everything in between that point is just making his point. So the important parts of this passage are verses 14 and 26. We're going to talk about all the verses, but we really want to focus on those and say, what was James really trying to say? This is not about what Doug thinks it means or what you think it means. This is about what the author, the Holy Spirit, through James, meant it to mean. That's what's important. So we're going to dive in and we're going to look at that and we're going to answer the question, is your life living proof of the gospel? If it is, your said faith will be shown. That's his first point. If it really is true that your life is living proof of what my half-brother Jesus came to do, you're, you're gonna, we're going to see it in your life. Look at the first few verses. 
He says, what use is it then, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says, go, be, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith without works is dead, being by itself, or actually it means, oh, or alone. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So in verse 14, he starts out with this, can this faith save him? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, can a faith that has no, that, that is just said, but has no living proof, is that really saving faith? He, he's not talking about people who are saying they're Christians and know they aren't. He's talking about people who are saying, I'm a follower of Christ, but have no evidence in their life of that. He is not trying to say you're lying. He's trying to say, wake up. Wake up and look at your life is ultimately what he's trying to say. And then he says, for example, and he gives this example in verses 15 through 17, and I'm just going to let the 19th century preach, prince of preacher Charles Spurgeon, his commentary on those three verses is this. If you want to give a hungry man a sandwich, wrap it in the word. Ultimately, what he says about this whole idea of, 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 of mercy ministry as it relates to James chapter 2 here, he's like, look, absolutely feed people, but feed people physically and spiritually. Now in verse 8, really verse 18 is where I want to spend most of my time on this point. It's, it's this whole idea of, if you look at verse 18, but someone may well say, because this is the passage. If you have, an, if you have a passage underlined in James, it's probably this one. Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Here in, in my study over the last couple weeks on this passage, it has really frustrated me because here's the, thing that's, here's, the, here's the thing about this very common passage. We read it all as one thought. But someone may well say, comma, quotation, you have faith and I have works. And then we go all the way to the end of the verse before we put a quotation. But here's the thing. In Greek, there is no punctuation. In the original Greek that, this was, that James wrote this in, there was no comma quotation. So what if, what if the quotation, what if all, what he's saying is, but someone may well say, comma, quotation, you have faith and I have works, period, quotation. What if someone says, you have faith and I do stuff. So you just sit and believe and I actually do stuff. What if the rest of that verse is James's answer to that question? Not the statement somebody who's wrong says, but what if what he's, cause, because in the original Greek, I, it lends itself to this. Because when he says, he says, show me your faith without your works, that's in the imperative. All of a sudden he switches to this command. It's like, it's like James is saying, okay, fine. Then show me your faith by doing nothing. And then he goes, but, but I, on the other hand, the last part of the verse, will show you my faith by my works. That's in the indicative, which just means he's indicating who I am. It's as if James is saying, you know what, I'm just going to show you that I'm a follower of Jesus by who I am. This is just who I am. I don't work for any reward. I don't work to prove anything to you. I, I, I work because it's just an overflow. It's, it indicates just who I am. I am a follower of Christ. I personally think that that's what he... Now, it doesn't really change any theology here, but it changes an emphasis. It's saying, so, so the, the point he's making in this whole passage is, 
if your faith is real, it will be shown. Not show your faith, like, show, like do stuff to show that you love Jesus so that your faith will be real. But I'm getting ahead of myself. What is clear about this whole section is that he is making a distinction between the connection of faith and works. What he's really addressing in this opening part is the person, and we all know people like this, guys, and, and who walk around saying, I am a Christian. Absolutely, I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet there's no evidence of that in their life. It's, it's the people that, math, or that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7. It's, that's one of the places he talks about that. Guys, but we're not talking about people that are lying. See, this is the key. We don't want to look at those people and go, Ugh! How can they say that? How can those people say that they follow Jesus, but, they, but, they're, but they're not really living for him? They're not really doing what I think they back. Remember last week, don't be prejudiced. Don't hold them to a standard you're not called to, that God hasn't called you to. All those things are still true as we bring them into today's lesson. But guys, what he's talking about people are people who are self-deceived. People who genuinely think, I walked an aisle, I raised my hand, I prayed a prayer, I got wet, I'm saved. I, I, now I can just live my life the rest of the, the way I want. That's the person the whole book of James is written for. It needs to be, he's like, man, we need to address this issue. But we can never leave faith behind. I mean, and, and our grace behind. Guys, on the back of your connecting points where you're, taking, where you're all taking notes, of course, is what we call table talk questions. Look at the first one. Make this a topic of your discussion today. Whether it be while we're eating hot dogs after the service today, or at your home tonight, or, but guys, I didn't write this. This is, this is Martin Luther, actually. We are saved by grace alone, solo gratia, through faith alone, solo fide, in Christ alone, solo Christus, according to the scripture alone, solo scriptura, for the glory of God alone, solo gloria. Now here's the question. Can you rewrite that in English? Right? Can you rewrite? Could you sit down at a table and have a discussion about what did Luther mean by this? Say, because it is the key to living out the gospel. We have to, that's what James is going to talk about here. The whole letter of James is demonstrating that if we are his, it will be made evident. And he's going to drive this home in the next point. So is your faith living proof of the gospel? If it is, your said faith will be shown in ways that give witness to God's glory. In ways that give witness to God's glory. Look at verse 19. It says, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. All he's saying there is, guys, to say that you believe, that to believe in God, to even, even to believe in Jesus, to say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, but okay, I'll put it this way. There is a world of difference between believing some proposition about Christ and submitting your life to Christ. There is a world night and day difference between believing some facts about Jesus and even saying, I totally see that he is the son of God, that he had some special relationship with God, right? And going, I, or even going, and he is actually the son of God. He is God incarnate. But then submitting your life to that. And that's what the rest of this whole section is about. Night and day difference. And because, and he makes the point, guys, the demons believe. 
I, I read it during our prayer time before the service. When, when Jesus walks up to the, he's teaching in the, in the synagogue in, in Capernaum, and this man who has a, an unclean spirit in him, the unclean spirit, this is early in Jesus' ministry, like, like the, right away, first place he's teaching. And the unclean spirit looks at him and he goes, I, I'm not going to point at any of you. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. What business do you have with us? Did you come to destroy us? The demons know exactly who Jesus is. That's why he, they hate the fact that people come to him. We gotta keep going. But we are willing to recognize, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So he's repeating himself here, and then he comes to his main point. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac up on the altar? Now I'm gonna stop there, and I'm gonna have you keep your finger here, and I'm gonna have you turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. So go to the left to where we are. Romans chapter 4. You're going to read about the account in your daily reading this week in Genesis 22. It's where Abraham offers Isaac on the altar. It's the scene that James is talking about, and it's the scene that Paul, the scene that Paul completely different author, is talking about here. Look at what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. For the promise of Abraham to his descendants that we would be heir of the world was not through the law. So it wasn't through like the Ten Commandments and what all the stuff that is. It was through righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. So he's saying if all it took was a list of rules, that is, that, then what's with the gospel? For the law brings about wrath, but there is no law, where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, Remember what James is talking about. Faith without works is dead. It is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, the good Jew is what he's saying, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who, oh, by the way, is the father of us all. All is all here. All is you and me if you're in Christ. So then he moves on and he says, As it is written, a father of many nations, not just the Jewish nation, a father of many nations, I have made you in the presence of him in whom you believed, even God. Now get this. Guys, get the resurrection in this. Who, but he's not talking about Jesus here. He's talking about Abraham and Isaac, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which did not exist. Guys, now hold on to that when we get back to James here in just a minute. In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that what had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Because earlier in the Genesis account, he promises when, Je when Abraham's 75 years old, remember that, 75 years old, he promises through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm that your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars because ultimately all people of faith in God, Christ, through Christ, are going to be blessed through the seed. And the seed is going to come through Isaac. And I don't have time to lay all that out today, but that's what Paul's talking about. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. Because guess what? God made the promise when he was 75. That's, that's old enough. He didn't actually have Isaac until he was 100. So he's going, so, so, so Paul's going, so Abraham, this 100-year-old man, and oh, by the way, his wife, Sarah, who was old as well, and, and her womb was dried up, basically, is, and, uh, to keep it family-friendly, it was physically impossible for Sarah to become pregnant by Abraham. 
but God. And he says this, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured of this, that what our God promises, he is able to perform. And that's what was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Guys, it wasn't that he believed God when God said Abraham, and he said, Abraham go, and Abraham went in Genesis chapter 12. It was when it was the sacrifice of, Abra of Isaac on the altar. So let me go back. So go back to James. Take a breath. I get so excited about this because it's so cool. Okay, verse 22 of James 2. You see that faith was working with works and was a result of the works. Faith was perfected. That word perfected means made real or realized. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith. So what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. If Abraham had said yes to every one of the promises that were, and there were many promises in Abraham's life that he was asked to fulfill. He did not do it perfectly, and he did not do it patiently, and a lot of the problems in our world right now are because of what he did wrong. Abraham was not perfect. However, he, the promise that James is talking about, the promise that Paul is talking about, is the one promise that through your descendant, singular, James, Paul says in Galatians, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. It is because, I get this, it is because Isaac is the promise of Jesus. And he's a picture of Christ. So if Abraham had said yes to all of these other promises, I'll, I'll be obedient, I'll be obedient, I'll be obedient, I'll be obedient, but not this one, God. Here's the problem. Screech! Because his disobedience and offering Isaac on the altar would have begged the question, do you really even believe in the real promise? The real promise is not the land. The real promise is not you're going to have a, lot, a big family. The real promise is that salvation is going to come through one line, and it is through your son, your only son, you're going to read this week in Genesis 22. And what's interesting is when, when Abraham and Isaac go, and, and Isaac's a, a, probably a young man at this point, when they go to, 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 to do the sacrifice, Abraham looks at his servants and say, he says, you stay here. The boy and I are going to go three days, or we're going to go out, we're going to sacrifice, and then we, plural, are going to come back. Wait a minute, he was going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. How did he know he was going to come back? Because Abraham believed God. And it was then that, he was, that, that his faith was perfected. God already knew. God made the covenant with Abraham. God sealed you if you're in Christ. It's not because you were smart enough to raise your hand, pray a prayer, respond to the gospel. He saved you. However, Abraham's faith was perfected, was made real when he worked, when he did something, when he raised his hand, when he came forward. And then he moves on. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out, and sent them out by another way? Again, this week, you're going to read about this in Joshua chapter 2. But ultimately what it's saying is that, that here, is, here is this completely pagan Person. She was a prostitute and a pagan. She was not of God's people. She heard about God and her heart melted. So did everybody else's. They wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, but the spies come and she's like, I, I have no choice because of what God's done in my heart to obey what he's telling me to do. And that's ultimately what 
James is telling us is the proof of Abraham's life, and oh, by our Rahab's life, and oh, by the way, get this: Rahab, the pagan harlot. If you turn, you won't turn there. You will turn there this week. Matthew one verse five. Guess who's? Guess who? Whose whose lineage she is in? Jesus. Our God is an is an amazing storyteller, and it's all about grace. The bottom line is, guys, we don't do so that it will be done for us. It was done for us, so we do. I've said that before. I'll keep saying it until we get it. We do not do so it will be done. It was done, so we do. Look at your table. So your, your table talk question says, but Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, so it's this mix of how do, we, how do we work out our salvation, do things, but at the same time know it's God who is doing the work. Finally, is your life living proof of the gospel? If it is, your said faith will be shown in ways that give witness to God's glory. I'm sorry, in, 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 your said, it'll be shown in ways and in bringing the dead to life. And we come back to where he started. It's, it's the last part of that inclusio, the, the last part that proves that this is what Paul's or James's point is. Verse 26, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Because what he's saying here is just, just like we have to be born physically, we have to be born again spiritually. One is without the spirit's power in us, we cannot possibly do things that are going to glorify God. And he's saying just like the body is just a, a hunk of flesh, your said faith, saying you have faith, but not actually living in the Spirit's power, is just as dead, spiritually. Here's the problem. We live in a, de a dying, decaying world. And we all know that. Right? Our bodies are breaking down. The, is the, the world is breaking down. But we, we know from Revelation, we know that's coming, right? We shouldn't be shocked by that. Here's the thing. The enemy is selling anger. This last point, I want you to get a couple things about walking, about doing good. Here, here are the obstacles that we have to, to why we don't do good works in the power of the Spirit. Because we get derailed, distracted by two things. The anger the enemy is selling. Right? Is the world getting nicer? It's getting more and more angry. Because that's where he lives. Why? Because he's angry. Because his, no, he knows his destruction is certain. Because he knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus has done. And he wants to take as many people with him in the rebellion as possible. And here's the second thing. The media, and if I got, had time to get on my soapbox, I would say that it's controlled by Satan. But I'll stay over here. The media, all of it, TV, internet, all of it is selling fear. Those two things, anger and fear, distract us from doing good works more than any other thing does. In the power of the Spirit. Doing good works for His glory by His power. And, and we are inundated with it. And we, guys, guys when, did, when did a winter storm become Superstorm Sandy? Like seriously. When did, why can't we just have snowstorms anymore? Because that doesn't sell. We want people hunkered down and huddled up. We want them isolated. Guys, the coronavirus. Ah! I, guys, I, 
I, I get it. Every one of those thousand souls that, that, that passed away in China, and other, it's, like I get that they're all precious. And they all needed to know Jesus. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. But do you know that in the same period of time that a thousand people died of the coronavirus in China, in our, in our country, which is a fraction of the population of China, 22,000 Americans died of influenza. A thousand people in China, 22,000 Americans. But what is the media feeding us? Why? Because it wants us to live in fear. Hunker down, huddle up isolate. Guys, the biggest danger in the world is not that you're going to get the coronavirus. The biggest danger in the world is that you would die without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the biggest danger because that will send you into an eternity apart from him. So we need to stop being angry at each other and angry at, the, at the, what's going on in the world because that's the enemy. And we need to stop living in the fear that man is trying to sell us. And we need to go, we need to come to Christ. As the music team comes up and we, and we prepare for our time of response, guys, get this. It's, it's your last table talk question. The scariest thing in the world is not anything in this world, but it is leaving this world and going into an eternity without knowing that you know that you know that you are God's because of what, G, what he did with Christ. So do you know that you know that you know? If you don't know, please come tell me. Come talk. Let's talk. There are going to be four guys up here in a few minutes that all of us would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Our wives would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Don't leave here without knowing that you know that you know. That's the biggest danger in the world. But if you do know, go tell somebody you know. Guys, it is so easy for us as we wrap up this section, this very popular section in James, it is so easy for us to, to wrap up our understanding of Christianity into morality and benevolence, good works. Am I a good person? Am I doing good things? And am I being kind to other people? But any of that apart from the gospel is nothing. Right? Christianity is not an amalgam of morality and charity. Christianity is the gospel. Christianity is that God did for us what we could not do because he loves us so much. That he sent his son to become flesh that he might live a life we could not live so that he would die a death that we frankly deserved. Why? Because guys, we don't need a teacher. We need a savior. We don't need more education about Christ. We need salvation. Right? Education is not going to save us. Salvation will. We don't need another, a, a more list of, of moral rules of do and don't. Right? We need a redeemer. And here's the thing. We have one. We have one. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray in his name. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that you knew exactly what we needed. And you don't always give us what we want, but you give us what we need. What we need is a savior. What we don't need is a, is a list of do's and don'ts. Because even if we fulfill them, they don't mean anything unless our motivation is because of what you have done for us. This whole, this whole thing, Lord, if, 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 if I didn't say it, please let these people hear right now in this prayer that this whole thing is, it was done. 
It was finished on the cross. And, and, and because of everything that the cross signifies, we do for your glory as a sacrifice back to you for the sacrifice you made for us. In Jesus' name, amen.